Good morning, everybody. I want to invite you guys to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We continue our study of this letter. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you're here without much experience in reading or thinking about the Bible, we're especially glad you're here. and want to make sure we do everything we can to make this next time accessible to you and interesting, engaging for you. And one of the things we've done to try to prepare for that is to, is to offer Bibles at the center of each aisle that you can take and, and use for this morning as we work through a part of the Bible, but also take with you. Uh, we'd love for you to have it and to, to read it on your own and to, to talk to us about what you read there. So if you don't have a Bible, flag somebody down in the center of each aisle. They'll pass one to you. Um, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, looking at the first six verses of that chapter together this morning. One thing that's been of interest to historians and sociologists who study religion in the West in recent years has been a surge of spirituality talk and interest in, uh, in the wider population. It's, it's happened during a, a window of time in which these same experts in these same fields predicted decline in interest in religion, or what's often known as secularization. Now, the, the rise of interest that I'm talking about and that these scholars are paying attention to in spirituality, it doesn't necessarily mean that those earlier folks were wrong about a decline of interest in religion. In fact, many folks who are interested in spirituality will describe themselves now as spiritual but not religious. Spirituality for them is, is a kind of in contrast to organized religion like local churches. And the content of spirituality that folks are interested in these days varies tremendously from person to person. I mean, just out of curiosity, I did some Google searching uh, this week just to figure out like what are what is Google saying about spirituality what are these results going to bring to the top about what it is what it means what people are looking for and it was all over the board as you can imagine it depends on who you're talking to and what they're interested in I haven't seen a definition that captures all the things people mean by it for some it's about looking inward about deeper self-knowledge about learning to listen to a voice within for others, it's about looking outward, about transcending yourself, connecting with something bigger than all of the, the barrage of technology that, that, that often just leads you into a kind of fog throughout your week. It can mean different things to different people, which raises a really important point. The reason I'm talking about this right now, the really important point. The most important issue is not whether or not you're interested in spiritual things, as I hope you are. I hope you brought that interest with you this morning. The really important point, though, is, is not whether you're interested in spiritual things. The important point is what sort of spirituality you're pursuing. That's what Paul gets into in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul introduces us to what he refers to as the Spirit. The Spirit is part of, uh, of, of what, what Christians refer to as the Godhead. That God has existed for all time, beyond time, and all eternity as one God, but in three persons. A mystery that the Bible teaches, but that none of us will ever fully understand. It's a mystery Paul wades into this morning, talking about the Spirit as part of that Godhead, whose job it is to engage those who are God's people deeply within themselves with who God is and what God has done. He's going to talk to us in this passage and then later on in the letter about the work of the Spirit in God's people. It's a, it comes up in this passage, but it sets the stage for a lot of stuff still to come. 
And this is, what, this is, this is where we're going to focus in this morning. What sort of spirituality is on Paul's radar as he writes to the Galatians? So far, he's been talking about the gospel. He's been talking about good news and where he got it and how it got confirmed and the times that he's had to, to stand for it when it's been challenged. He's still talking about the gospel, but now what he's going to do is talk to the Galatians about where they've stepped away from it. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a place where or, or, one of his a story from Paul about a time when he had to even confront one of his fellow leaders in the church, Peter, because his treatment of Gentiles had stepped out of line with the gospel. And now, in this passage, he comes back to the Galatians from his sort of backward-looking journey, all this personal history that he's been talking about, to them, and does for them in this passage what he'd done for Peter in Galatians chapter 2. In this passage, he gets real with them, challenges them head on about their posture and the way it had stepped out of line with the gospel. Somebody, I was talking to a pastor friend this week who preached on this passage recently, and he, was, he helped me see just almost the, the comedy in the way Paul confronts the Galatians in this chapter. You can almost imagine them having heard, you know, as this letter made its way around what this letter calls the churches of Galatia from city to city, church to church in this region. You can almost hear, feel the buzz of excitement building as people hear. Oh, did you hear? Paul wrote a letter. He's written to us. We had not seen him in a while. Isn't it great? He sent us a letter. It's coming tomorrow. We're expecting it to arrive. And then the letter gets there. And they unroll it, you know, and there's their name right at the top, Churches of Galatia. This is great. He remembered us. He thought of us. Maybe we'll make it into the Bible. And they start to read through the letter. And, you know, it's an interesting travelogue. Isn't this nice what Paul's been doing with his time? So nice of him to update us, let us know how he's doing. And then they get to chapter 3, verse 1, and he starts to talk to them. And he says, Oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? And for all of history, the Galatians are known as, You idiots! What are you thinking? Who has taken control of your mind? I want to pick up where Paul hits them in the face in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 and read through verse 6 before we come back over this terrain and talk about the faithful spirituality that Paul puts in front of them. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as I read beginning in verse 1? Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? This is God's word. You can be seated. What Paul's doing in this section 
is serving the Galatians the same way he served Peter in chapter 2. They have stepped out of line with the, with the gospel, with the implications of the message he preached to them, and he wants to call them back because he loves them. And the question that I think he's getting at here is about how to experience God's power in your life. He's addressing spirituality, and he's putting faith at the center of it. The spirituality that matters to Paul that he wants for his friends in Galatia, that they've now stepped away from, is a spirituality with faith at the center of it. So what I want to talk about this morning is what I'm calling faithful spirituality, using Paul's terms. And I want to talk about where it begins, how it grows, and how we pursue it. Where it begins, how it grows, and how we pursue it. We'll start with where it begins. That's where Paul starts. He's pulling no punches here. It's almost as if someone's got them in a trance, he says. Why? And the first problem that he puts his finger on, and the one that's fundamental to the other problems that he'll address, is that these friends seem to have forgotten where their experience of God's power in their lives began. He goes to the heart of the problem in verse 2. Basically says, let me ask you one question. Let me just cut through it all and give you one question. Answer me this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's rhetorical. They're supposed to know they got the Spirit through faith, hearing with faith, not through works of the law. Gives basically the same question in verse 5, almost exactly the same. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What's he saying? I want to point out two important details both about how their life in Christ, their experience of God's power in their life began. Two important details that come from these two mirror image questions. Here's the first important detail that we need to recognize. Faithful spirituality, experience of God's uh, God's spirit in your inner life that, that, that centers on faith, that faithful spirituality begins with a gift. Faithful spirituality begins with a gift. We must recognize this. Paul here is tying the beginning of the Christian life to the gift of the Spirit. They're one and the same. The Spirit comes at the beginning. It begins with the Spirit. There's no Christian life apart from the influence of God's Spirit in in the Christian person. There's no period where you're part of God's people but waiting on God's Spirit. That's why in verse 3 he says, "Have you having begun by the Spirit... He talks about this. Another reason that it's clear that, he's, that, 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 that he wants them to know faithful spirituality begins with this gift, the gift of the Spirit, is, is that he's talking about it here in the same way he talked about justification back in chapter 2. The same framing, justification or being worthy before God, being pleasing to God. How does that come? By works of the law? He says, no. By faith, you only claim it. It's given to you. It's not something you have to earn. He's saying the same thing here about the Spirit because those two things go together. At the very beginning of your life in Christ, you are justified, made worthy in God's eyes because of what Jesus has done, and you receive the Spirit, both of them, at exactly the same time. It's a package deal that comes with belonging to God's people, not a series of gifts that are doled out over time in response to the right buttons pressed or boxes checked off it matters that verse 2 says you received the spirit 
And that verse 5 says God supplied the Spirit. It's not a reward that you get for finishing a race. It's where the race begins. And what that means for us is that there's no tier of the super spiritual out there who enjoy God's Spirit and then the, the mediocre who muddle through their Christian life. When the prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, when Jesus himself taught about the gift of the Spirit that was coming, It was not as a reward for obeying the law, just the opposite. The gift of the Spirit was framed as something you needed because you couldn't obey the law, because you didn't have the power to do the things that please God, because your heart wanted something other than what God wanted. That was why the Spirit was so necessary. And friends, this this picture of where spirituality begins fits with our understanding of the gospel in general that we want to make sure you don't leave here this morning without hearing. The gospel, the good news that's at the center of our hope for life in this world, for our hope in, in, in death and in what's to come is a message of what Jesus has done, not what we have done. It's a message that teaches us that that we have not been what God made us to be, that every one of us, to use Paul's language, has fallen short of God's glory. That our sins against God and against one another come with consequences that we cannot face on our own or overcome. But that God in Christ has chosen because of his love to pay the consequences for our sin so that we can be received, can be pleasing to him and worthy so that we can have a life that otherwise would not be ours to live. The gospel says he does it all and it's only ours to believe in it to trust in what he's done rather than what we might do for ourselves. And the gift of the Spirit, the beginning of a spirituality that comes from the God who made you, starts in the exact same way. A free gift given not because we deserve it, not because we figured out anything that tapped into these inner resources, but because God just decided to put his Spirit in us and to give us life with him. It won't come as some sort of attainment It isn't given to us as a sort of self-help program. It comes through a resurrection-level kind of miracle worked inside of you that moves you from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's what we need to notice from Paul's rhetorical questions here about where life in the Spirit begins. It's a gift from God. And here's the second detail that's important about these, that's built into these questions. You need to know this one too. There's one place to get this gift. The gift comes through hearing the message about Jesus crucified. This matters a lot for reasons we're going to spend some time talking about in a little bit. The gift that we're talking about here, the beginning of a, of a, of a spirituality that's based on faith, comes in one way and one way only. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? No. How did you receive it? What was the delivery system? Hearing with faith. Hearing what, we might ask. And Paul's already mentioned that in verse 1. It was before your eyes, he says, that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What he's saying is not that they saw it. They weren't there. They weren't in Jerusalem the day that he was crucified. But his preaching, his preaching had described Jesus had interpreted what Jesus accomplished, had been presented to them with such vividness that it's like they were there. The eyes of their heart could see it. The message of hope 
through Jesus Christ crucified was the beginning of everything good that was happening in their community together. It was what Paul built his whole ministry on when he was with them. And they saw him. And it was hearing Paul and seeing with the eyes of their heart through what Paul spoke to them, hearing Paul speak of Jesus crucified that brought this gift of the Spirit, this gift of faith into their life. And we're going to get to some big implications about this. But for now, I just want you to know this is Paul's message. He hits this drum in all sorts of letters. In Romans chapter 10, he tells the Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Same phrase, same ideas that he's pulling from here. You want to have the faith that comes with God's spirit and that launches a spirituality of experience of God's power and goodness in your life. It comes through hearing the word of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 makes the same point. Paul said to the Corinthians, I decided I wasn't going to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. All I did when I was with you, my one ministry philosophy, my only method was just to talk about Jesus crucified for you over and over and over and over. Why is Paul a one-trick pony when it comes to his ministry? Because he believes he doesn't get to decide how people get become become spiritual he doesn't get to decide how they experience god's power and spirit his spirit's work in their life he has received marching orders that make it clear to him how it's going to happen and it only happens one way it happens when people hear the message about jesus and respond with faith so that's all paul's about this is how god's chosen to work in his people it's his delivery system for the gift of his spirit. It's where a spirituality that depends on faith begins. God could use anything he wants to to shape people. He has that kind of power. What he's chosen to use is hearing with faith. Now, that's where a faithful spirituality begins how does it grow what happens next the questions that Paul goes to in verse 3 point us in this direction and I think I think these questions seem to be where the biggest problems lie with their behavior now it's as if that the Galatians would have conceded that you come into the people of God you first experience God's spirit's power in your life by faith great we listened to the message about Jesus we believed it and now we're off But then once you're in, the rules switch. You grow or mature through through other methods, other means. So he says, are you so foolish? Verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's as if the gospel was how they got in, but staying in and growing in depends on their own effort. And Paul wants them to know Growing in the Spirit happens the same way as coming into the Spirit. By God's power, it's claimed by faith and nothing more. That's how you grow. That's how you complete or become perfected. Now, notice in verse 3, I want to to make sure that you notice something about this. Um, The contrast that he's been making for us between faith and works now shifts a little bit. Now it's not faith and works. Faith and works of the law, rather, but the spirit and the flesh. Verse 3 again. Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
The simple reading here, I think, is that, is that it's, inter- these are interchangeable terms. The way of the Spirit is the way of faith, just like he was talking about earlier. The way of the flesh is the way of works. Flesh for Paul is a kind of technical term. It refers to us on our own, human nature apart from God's Spirit's influence. Us in our own power, us bound in our own sin, us influenced by our own selfishness and held back by our own weaknesses. That's us in our flesh, on our own. The way of flesh is the way of works. The way of the Spirit is the way of faith. So it's like he's asking them, are you now going to be perfected or completed? Are you going to grow and mature by your own power? The implication is, of course you're not. Don't be ridiculous. Or as he puts it, are you so foolish to think that you could perfect yourself to choose that way rather than the way of grace through faith? Friends, what I think he's saying here is the same couple of things he was saying in those first questions we looked at, where the, where the spirituality based on faith begins. Saying the same couple of things here. He's saying that, first of all, growth in faithful spirituality comes as a gift. Just like it begins with a gift, you grow as a gift. It's his grace that grows you as a Christian. Think, think, about, think about growth as a gift as opposed to growth in your own power. That's the other way this could have gone. You could grow, you could mature, and be perfected by the flesh. For that, think about things you can control. Think, when you think of your flesh, think works that you can control. Visible, tangible, measurable steps that you can take with predictable results. That's the way I'd prefer to grow. I'd much rather have somebody give me a rubric that they're going to use to grade me. Tell me what the expectations are. Give me the steps that you expect me to take along the way. And I'm just going to go after it one by one by one. That's how I'd prefer. Measurable, predictable, visible. Then I'll hunker down and get it done. That's the way of the flesh. That's our default mode. The way of the spirit is different. The growth that the spirit brings actually may not be visible. For a time, it may not be tangible to you at all. It certainly won't be predictable. You can't control the Spirit. You can't harness it and aim it at your projects or your plans. Jesus in John 3 talked about the Spirit like the wind. You see its effects. You know the wind's blowing because you see the trees and the leaves moving. But you can't control it. It blows where it wishes. It's not yours Faithful spirituality is a spirituality that relinquishes control over your own growth and trusts that the same power that brought you to life will bring you all the way home to perfection. No, you won't always see what he's doing in your life. And no, the timeline won't always suit your desires. Yes, that makes you vulnerable. But, it also gives you hope because you're his project and he always finishes his projects. The growth of faithful spirituality comes as a gift. That's the first detail to mention. Just like it begins as a gift, it grows as a gift. And the second detail to mention is also the same as where it begins. The delivery system for this gift, the way God chooses to give it is faith through hearing. 
The gift of growth comes through faith in what you hear. It comes from engaging the gospel message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. The terms of verse 3, look, at, look back at verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit. That's a package term referring to everything he just said in verse 2. To begin with the Spirit is to, is to have heard with faith. It stands for faith as opposed to the way of works and flesh. It stands for Christ crucified, verse 1, portrayed before your eyes as if you could see it so that what you hear about Jesus stirs and strengthens your faith in him. In other words, growth happens the same way conversion happens. You hear of Christ in the word, backed by the power of God's spirit to change you. That's the delivery system. Now, in a way, friends, it's easy to see how the Galatians would have drifted from that. It's not very impressive, to be honest. It doesn't fit what we naturally want or expect, that's for sure. I think we all prefer what we can see and control and bank on. And what we prefer is obvious, dramatic, and hopefully instantaneous change. In the early church, there were plenty of eye-popping miracles. As one person put it, it was sizzling with the supernatural, if you read Acts. The Spirit was active, and that often looked like things that everybody could see and no one could deny. I think what he's pointing us to here is that normally it's not going to look that way. A normal operation of the Spirit, no less powerful, no less miraculous or successful, is a lot more mundane on the surface. It looks like what you're doing right now. Listening to someone talking about a message that you may have heard your whole life again and showing up the next Sunday so that you can hear it again and talking to your friends about what you've heard so that they can tell you again. And that day by day, week by week, and year by year, as we hear with faith, God's changing us. His Spirit's working. The gift of the Spirit that transforms your life by faith and not by works comes through this kind of week in, week out, day in, day out, engagement with the gospel you've heard. Now, I want to talk for the next minutes that we have, the remaining minutes we have, about how we pursue faithful spirituality. Where it begins is a gift from God. His spirit is given and it comes through hearing with faith. The way that it grows, just like the way it begins, is a gift from God that you receive as you hear the message of the gospel and engage with it through faith. So what does that mean for us and how we pursue it? Yes, it's a gift, but that doesn't mean we're passive. See, Paul wants them in line or in step with the gospel. Look at what Paul's doing for them right here. He's reasoning with them. He's written in an entire letter to call them back to the word that he first preached to them about Jesus and him crucified. There's no passivity in this letter, even though he knows that this spirituality happens through God's power as a gift when you engage with the word about Jesus. He's still working them to engage with this word about Jesus. And so he would, he would want that for us. So what I want to ask for the, for the remaining minutes we have is, how do we grow by faith through the Spirit? What does it look like for us to pursue faithful spirituality? What's our role in this? And I want to answer that question on two layers. One, for each of us as individuals, and two, for us as a local church. 
I want to talk about how you as an individual pursue this kind of faithful, faith-based, centered on the gospel spirituality and then how this affects our practices as a local church. So let's talk about it as individuals first. Let me say, let me say, I hope it's clear to you by now what we don't do as individuals to pursue this kind of faithful spirituality, faith-driven spirituality. We don't have to activate this power in our lives. It's not dormant, waiting on us to press the right buttons so that if you don't, you won't experience God's blessing in your life. God doesn't work that way with his people. He's open-handed with his gifts. You don't peel back finger by finger his vice grip over the good things that you wish he'd unleash in your life. He isn't that way. And he won't be held back in giving you his gifts by your lack of willpower, by your ignorance about what to do when, by your on-again, off-again interest in connecting with him. If you're in Christ, the Spirit is a gift that he supplies and you receive. And that, friends, is wonderfully freeing. It means that the key to changing your life, the key to some sort of deeper experience of the spiritual in your life is not waiting for you between the covers of some best-selling spirituality book you haven't bought yet. God would not let your future rest on finding the right guru. Now that said, we also wouldn't be right to read what Paul's said here and decide to merely sit back and wait either. Look at where growth comes from. What does he say in verse 3? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? Are you now maturing? Are you now growing to completion by the flesh? Meaning, obviously, no. You want to continue as you began. How did you begin? You began by hearing with faith. Hearing what? Hearing the gospel. God's word. The message about Jesus crucified and resurrected. The message that is at the heart of the whole Bible, Old Testament and New. So what that means is that if you, friend, if you want a faithful spirituality, one that grows by faith in the power of God, one that's his gift given to you, not a reward that you've earned, then this is what you do. You engage the Bible. Again and again and again and always. We come to him where he says he'll meet with us. Let me push this further. I mean, sometimes you may, you, you may hear someone advise you that there are, are other things you should try if you want to connect with God's power. I, all of us, I think, have had trouble engaging the Bible. If you've been a Christian for very long, you have. You've had trouble understanding what you're reading. You've had trouble having, get, having enough drive to actually go to it. There have been long stretches where you've read and felt nothing. And sometimes you may receive advice that goes something like this. What you need to do is find something you do love. If reading the Bible is hard for you, do something else. Try something that's more suited to you and your interests. Figure out what works for you and do that. But friends, in that version of spiritual formation, and another way to look at that, if we want to use Paul's language, is that that's basically just us growing on our terms. That's us looking for completion 
in the flesh. We'd be engaging God in the way that seems most enjoyable to us as if God will bend to us wherever we are. But that's directly working against the grain of what the Bible says about God and what Paul tells us here. Throughout the Bible, God sets the terms for engaging with him from beginning to end. He tells us where we get to experience his power and his presence. And then his people bend their lives to him. That's what the temple was all about. The temple was not just the most obvious and rational way to engage with God. It was God's way to engage with God. He gave them every single rule for how to build it, for where to build it, for what size everything should be and what materials should be made. And then everything that happened inside those walls happened because he said it should. Why? We have no idea why he chose all the specific details. He didn't bring us all the way into his thinking on that. He just says... If you want to experience my power in your life, come here. And the same thing holds true in the New Testament. Now God has come in the person of his son to speak in a clearer way than he ever did before. And now he has left with us as his son returned to the right hand of the father. What was left to us was the spirit. And he's told us how to experience the power of his spirit. Just as he told his people in the Old Testament what they should do if they wanted to experience him. He hasn't said, go figure it out. He said, having begun by the Spirit, don't pursue the flesh. Continue the way you began, by hearing with faith. Isn't it enough just to choose a practice that works for you? We have to express our faith that God works the way God chooses to work and that he hasn't left us ignorant. To assume that it has to make sense to us why engaging his word about Jesus and him crucified in the Bible is the way to grow spiritually. We're assuming the way of the flesh. Another way to put it is that we're assuming that formation as Christians isn't a miracle of God's spirit just as becoming a Christian is. As if we need him to kickstart it but from there we can take it ourselves. Now, I know you might be saying, oh, I've tried that. It hasn't worked for me. I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. I don't need you guilting me about it. I've tried, and I don't get anything out of it. How long do I have to keep engaging the Bible before I get something? I've felt that way, for sure. Have you? You probably have, haven't you? Now, what, what, what's happening in us when we feel that way? is that we've drifted into thinking about our engagement with God in his word in the terms of works and flesh, not faith and spirit. Because what's happening is we're assuming God is waiting on us to put in the proper code to reach the proper level of reading before he gives us what we want. How long do I have to do it before this pays off? Is that saying, all right, just tell me, what, how big is this glass that I have to pour into? When will it be full? And when can I move on to something else? We're also assuming, perhaps one layer deeper, that we can control God by doing the right amount so that then in turn he has to give us the experience that we're looking for. You tell me syllabus style, what I have to put in, I'll put that in and then you give me what I've, what I've earned. When That just isn't how we can relate to him or really, friends, to anyone else that we relate to. 
You can't relate to a friend or a spouse that way either. No relationship can thrive as long as we're only as long as we're asking how much time we have to put in before we get what we're looking for from the other. And if you're tired of trying with no results, the other encouragement I'd give you is to keep on going anyway. Because there's no other place to go for this power to change your life. Hearing with faith the gospel of Jesus, that's how God shapes us. That's how it works. We don't have other levers to pull or buttons to press. This is how it works. So we keep doing it. That's faith-based, faithful spirituality. One writer put, uh, used a sailing analogy for this. And sometimes when you're sailing... Uh, you, you reach an area that has no wind, known as the doldrums. It's just like stillness. What do you do? You can't go anywhere. You just sit there. But you don't just sit there. You also keep your sail up. Because when the wind blows, like something is going to need to catch it. So what we're asking from Paul here is, okay, let's say I'm not experiencing anything. I'm in that doldrums, complete stillness, glassy sea. What do I do? How do I pursue a faithful spirituality that has to come as a gift? Well, the only thing he's told us here is hearing with faith. I keep engaging what he said. That's me putting up that sail and in faith trusting that he will fill it with the wind of his spirit. Yes, it blows where it wishes. No, I can't control it. And no, I have no hope apart from it. The only thing I've got is to put myself into the lane that he's called me to. I hear with faith. So friends, if you're struggling and feeling stuck and someone tells you to keep engaging the Bible in prayer, then what I hope, I hope you'll take out of this is knowledge that your friends that are encouraging you like that aren't being dismissive. They aren't trying to get out of the conversation. They aren't just slapping a cliche on what you're dealing with. They aren't assuming that what you really need is to get your thinking straightened out. They're just expressing the faith that they want for you. Faith in the unpredictable but freely given power of God through his word, backed by his spirit. This is how Christians are formed. So the implication for you as an individual is keep engaging God's word. Not because what you need is to think straight, but because this is where God has said he will meet you. Engage it here on Sunday mornings. Engage it with your friends over lunch. Engage it in your small groups. Engage it through podcasts. Engage it wherever you can because this hearing with faith is how God will unleash the power of his spirit in your life. Now, I want to I use a couple of minutes here, the very end, to talk about how we pursue faithful spirituality as a church. We don't always have time to do this. It's important to me that we do this today. I kind of peek behind the curtain at the philosophy of ministry that guides how we choose to do what we do in our local church this that paul has put in front of us speaks directly into why we do what we do we want the bible to be central to everything about our life as a church it's why we preach sermons from the bible verse by verse on its terms it's why our children's programming focuses on teaching kids the message of the Bible rather than moral instructions. 
It's why we don't program and execute on a lot of good things that Christians should care about in personal and community life. It's why we stay in our lane. We're putting everything on the power of God to bring new life and to form us into maturity by His Spirit working through His Word. Everything we do as a church, we're putting on that hope and trusting that He will bless what He's called us to do. And we don't do this, friends. We don't focus everything on the, on the scriptures and engaging them together because we think that our main goal is to shape people's minds. That's a caricature that's often given of Bible-centered practices like the ones we're emphasizing. As if we think we just gotta like, force into your brains the right ideas from the word and then you'll change. We don't see you that way. You're much more complicated than that and knowledge in your head will never be enough. The reason we emphasize the Bible and just beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it every chance we get is that we believe this is how God has promised us he will shape you. We don't get to decide how God channels his power in the life of his people. He does. It's just for us to hear him and obey him. And we believe that when this method works, when focusing on the word when making it central to everything we do and when we don't do much of anything else besides engage the Bible together, when it works and when churches grow and thrive, when they get healthy, when individuals are growing as Christians through these means, in this sort of normal and unremarkable and moment-by-moment way, then the result is just all the more glorious because it's all the more obviously His work. We haven't tapped into anything that churches 1,500 years ago didn't know about. We haven't trademarked some sort of unique philosophy of how to make a church strong and healthy. We're just staying in the lane that's assigned to us and putting everything on God's power to change us through it. And when he does, when we're healthy and we haven't tried anything else, then there's no confusion about who should get the pat on the back for that result. Bill read this passage earlier in the, ser- in, in, in the service, 1 Corinthians 1. I think it's a <coughs> tremendous parallel to what Paul is saying here. What Paul wrote there is that everybody that he came to see in Corinth, they wanted something different than what he was offering. They wanted wisdom. They wanted obvious, miraculous power. They wanted to be impressed. You know, they wanted the, gang- they wanted the, the anti-upped. Show me what I haven't seen before. They wanted all of that. But Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. That's what makes us a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness or folly to Gentiles. He says in verse 27 of chapter one, God chose what is foolish in the world. Words like these, teaching like this. He's chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He's chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He's chosen what is low and despised, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why has God chosen to work in the way that he's chosen? To transform people's lives, to give them a spirituality that is thriving and helpful and hopeful through simple hearing with faith. Why is that how he would work? Well, verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you're in Christ Jesus. Not because of the flesh, not because of the works you figured out, not because of the methods that your guru guru passed on to you, 
because of him. It's Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, pursuing faithful spirituality together, one that builds everything on faith in God's power, one in which none of us get to boast for the changes that we see, that's pursuing a spirituality in which the changes we want are as certain as the resurrection of Jesus because they depend on the same power. There's hope in that, friends. Let's pray together that God will do this work. Father, we, we pray that you would help us on our side to resist our temptation towards the way of the flesh, towards using our creativity, our ingenuity, our power such as it is to try to micromanage our own growth. Help us to resist our desire to glorify ourselves through what we figure out and help us to trust that your ways are best even when we don't understand them. We pray that you would keep us faithful to engaging your word together and in our own individual lives to letting hearing with faith be enough for us. We pray that you would reward this with your free, gracious gift. As we claim by faith what you've put in front of us, you would show us you have been always faithful to your promises, including this one. We pray that your word would be rich, fruitful in our lives. And Father, now we pray that as we sing of what we've considered and as we go out into another week looking to know and experience your power, you would go with us and that we would boast in you. In Jesus' name, amen.